I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we're joined by Angela Murphy, an author and school psychologist. She shares with us some practical tips for communicating with children about emotional regulation and the complexities of trauma. Let's talk about it. All right. Well, this is a uh, this is going to be really fascinating. Uh, we're going to be diving into a conversation with our new friend Angela Murphy here, who is an author, uh, a school psychologist, and a complex trauma resource director for school programs. And um, I think I think the conversation surrounding trauma is something that we've dived into a whole bunch over the last eight years. But usually we're talking about it from like the perspective of like where we, you and I sit, you know, like we're just sit, us adults, full grown ass people. Um, rarely do we get to really dive into how trauma, how to communicate things like trauma with children or with youth. Um, and so luckily we have a professional in our midst, Angela Murphy. First of all, thank you, Angela, for joining <laughs> us today. Uh, please give yourself a little introduction. Give us some insight into who Angela Murphy is. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Angela Murphy. I'm from Cape Breton Island, um, but I live in British Columbia right now. I've been here since 2010. And um, hmm, I love dogs. This is Zane. <laughs> My dog Draper's on the ground. And um, this I guess I can backtrack a little bit on how I got interested in this type of work because before I became a teacher, which was in 2007, I didn't even know if I liked kids, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So my friends, I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And my friends, some of them were teachers and I thought, oh, maybe I'd be interested. So I was crossing my fingers thinking, okay, I'm going to do my practicum. Hope I like them. Fast forward, you know, I absolutely adore children and love working with them. It's my main, my main work. And um, I was working in the school in Calgary, actually, when I realized I really enjoyed working with kids with complex needs. And it was during that time that I noticed that students were waiting two to three years to um, get like a psych ed assessment for diagnoses and for supports in place. And I thought, oh, maybe that's something that I can do. Fast forward a few years later, I completed uh, my master's in applied and child psych uh, from the University of Calgary. And then, um, and I've been working at an independent Indigenous school for about 13 years now. And I'm very part-time now because a a lot of my work is taking the trauma framework and bringing it into other schools across Canada and mostly in British Columbia. And so... That's how I got here. That's the professional side of it. But there's a whole personal piece of why I'm so interested in 
these kids who are kind of the desk flippers and the fewers and the running out of the classroom. Mm, right, right. Yeah, they have my heart. When you um when you mentioned that piece there about kids waiting two or three years to get um a psych ed, a psych ed assessment? Do you mean like a uh, for like does does the ed mean education in that? Yeah. So usually psych ed assessments, so psychological educational assessments, um, we might look at learning disorders or intellectual disorders or even giftedness, yeah. might screen for behavioral disorders or mental health concerns. And it's very different across the provinces of, of what can or can't be diagnosed depending on our, our body. Because, I mean, when I think of, and I'm reminded... I don't think I ever thought about this really until COVID until COVID happened and kids were, 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 were all learning mm-hmm. from home. But like the, 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 the realization of like how precious time is um, for kids when they are in school at a young age, you know, like what two or three years is to a kid who's like 10 versus, mm-hmm. a, versus two or three years for me in my early thirties. Like it's just a gigantic difference in terms of like how much progress can be done or can be missed um, in that time period. So that's like a huge, you know, that's, that's two or three years that that, that that kid is probably not getting what they need. Yeah. The growth and development is so rapid, especially early in life. Um, Taylor, I think that's a really good point. And I think about now, so pre pandemic going into schools, about one in four of our students were, showing up with mental health concerns, usually anxiety. Um, And so now post pandemic, and I'm talking to educators all the time, and we always say, okay, post pandemic, how, what do you think that percentage is now? And it's around 60 to 70% of our students are showing up with mental health concerns. So if we are not able to be emotionally regulated, it's really hard to learn. Of course, our learning is impacted as well, right? Yeah, sixty to seventy yeah. percent. Is that yeah, a factor of a um, wild? Is, is that a symptom? Yeah. Is that is that a is that a rise in mental health issues, or is it a rise in comfort to be able to come forward with a mental health issue, or is it a mix of both? <clears throat> I think it's a mix of both, and I think of even us as adults, like we've been living in a heightened state of arousal for years, like through the pandemic, especially. So our nervous systems are so heightened, right? And then coming out of that, we're still seeing the after effects of the heightened nervous system. Mm -hmm. I I find one thing I just want to say right off the top too is, is I find it's, it's an overwhelming idea for me to think about trying to communicate um, with children about things like trauma and, you know, these heavy, these heavier life topics. Um, I know personally, like going through therapy in the past few years, um, I feel like I've just sort of, you know, like developed the wherewithal to like start to under some, understand some things about myself that like I couldn't even imagine thinking about or contemplating in my like early 20s, let mm. alone you know, mm-hmm. being like 10 or 12 years yeah. old and trying to yeah. wrap my head around these things. Um, like how, this might be a big question, but like how large of a task is it to like try to distill these, you know, ideas down and like make them make sense to someone who like, you know, is just learning 
their like basic multiplication tables or even prior to that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's so, it's so interesting. Of course, it depends on the age of the child and it depends on their trauma history. So let's, I think just to backtrack a bit, let's talk about the difference between complex trauma and a simple trauma. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, no trauma is simple, but a simple trauma is one single event. So maybe the loss of a loved one or parents getting divorced and the child gets support and gets back on track developmentally. Complex trauma is very different. It's invasive. It's interpersonal. So between usually the child and a primary caregiver, it's multiple events over time. And usually for children who've been through complex trauma early in life, so we say you know, the brain is so rapidly developing in the first two years, you know, zero to five years of life, especially, um, it can really impact the development of the brain. As you know, I think you've had, you've talked quite a bit about that, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we understand that even in utero, so if mom is carrying baby and she has her own stressors, um, so maybe she has her own mental health concerns, or maybe there's substance use, or maybe there's domestic violence that impacts the growth of the baby. Because, and I always come back to repetitive rhythmic stimulation. So the heartbeat of mom, if it's inconsistent and the baby's growing in belly, then that would impact the baby's nervous system as it's growing, right? So one of the main strategies, and without talking directly to children about this, so we always start with the adults, the adults supporting the kids who've been through hard things, right? We want them to understand the impacts of trauma on the brain and body so that when they're thinking about supporting these students, they're thinking about going back developmentally. How can we add repetitive rhythmic stimulation throughout the day? We can put music on in the background. We can pass the ball back and forth. We can talk to parents about, you know, putting a sound generator on through the night, set at the heartbeat setting. So resetting that cycle almost. Um, But so how do we talk to kids about it? First, we start with our adults, right? Mm -hmm. And so a big part of my work is going into districts and talking to educators and parents when I can about um, shifting our lens because often these are the kids who show up who need the most support right these are often the kids who are the loudest they're the desk flippers they're the fu and running out of the classroom and all the things often not always some so that's the externalizer but then the Mm. internalizer might be quiet right quiet and withdrawn and not responding they might appear defiant but maybe they're actually in freeze mode Mm. and so it's helping the adults understand that we're not starting with behavior, which is how we're trained. Usually, even our parents are usually consequences, punishments. That's what kind of the go-to was. There is a shift. Um, It's happening. Um, But consequences and punishments don't work long-term for kids who've been through complex trauma. Right. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this reminds me of, um, there's something that's come up on the podcast quite a bit, which is, which when, when speaking about, um, in particular two two big things that like are themes throughout, like, our, you know, our podcasting history, which is, uh, sexuality and, and grief right? or death rather. And, uh, and the thing that like, I've heard a number of times is that, um, 
that there is no, there's no time too early to start discussions surrounding things like death or things like sex. You normalize it. Yeah. But what, what is important is knowing the language that is comprehensible or like understand like that, that, that a, that a child can understand. So I guess, a, a, um, age appropriate conversation mm -hmm. is, is the, is the term I was looking for there. So what, okay. like, how does that, how does that, how does that communication shift over the years when say dealing with a child who's in grade one versus, uh, you know, a kid who's going into their first year of high school when it comes to communicating about self-regulation or past traumas or, you know, viewing the ways that we can like, um, heal when, when dealing with something that's traumatic. Great question. And I think, you know, earlier is better as early as we can to start normalizing these conversations. And we might not be talking directly about trauma or the trauma that happened, but we're talking about their brain. We're talking about their body. We're teaching them at a very early age about the their upstairs brain and downstairs brain. Do you know the hand brain model by Dan Siegel? No, no. Ooh, okay. Yay. Yay. So put your hand <laughs> up like this. <laughs> yes, okay. Miss Murphy. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's look at our hand brain model. This is Dr. Dan Siegel who came up with this. And we can teach children at such a young age this um, strategy. So here's the upstairs brain. Here's the downstairs brain. So I want you to imagine down here is your brain stem. Mm -hmm. Right here is the downstairs brain um, the survival brain and the emotion and relational brain. So the limbic system. So that's mm -hmm. the downstairs brain, your thumb, give it a wiggle. That's the amygdala. That's where the um, fight, flight, freeze response lives. So pull over your amygdala here. And here's your upstairs brain. This is the logical brain. And so if you put it over like this and put it right by your head, that represents your brain. Hmm. Oh, cool. And so Actually, what I yeah. like that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. So for the, for the, just for the people who are just listening. So the brain stem is like your wrist basically. Then you yeah. have your downstairs brain, which is your palm, your, your, your amygdala is your thumb. So you tuck your thumb in and then your upstairs brain, when you close your fingers, fingers down yeah. around over your thumb, that's now nestled into your palm. That's like, it looks like your brain. It's, like, it's yeah. like a model of your brain. <laughs> Yeah, that's really and so cool to explain it to really young children. I like to say, OK, your upstairs brain is the intelligent eagle. OK, and your downstairs brain is your wolf. And when the wolf gets scared, the eagle flies away. Mm. Looks like this. Mm. And Siegel calls it the lid flip. So when the eagle flies away, the eagle is gone. This is your logical brain. It's really hard to access our downstairs brain, the downstairs brain that helps us with emotional regulation, right? And so learning happens, language happens, executive functions happen. So holding back impulses, planning ahead, all in the logical brain. Behavioral regulation happens in the logical brain. So when the ego flies away, um, it's really hard for us to do all of those functions. That's why it's so now. hard to like be, yeah. to like, like be rational in a fight, in a, like yeah, when you're in, in like an state. argument or yeah. whatever, you just yeah, like, that's, yep, right. yep. 
that's all the Eagles I, flown away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm hearing all this from like a, from like a very, um, um, so from the perspective of like how important it is to talk to what I, what I want, what I, what I really want people to, uh, hear in this conversation, uh, that's coming up for me is, is the importance of having this conversation, um, before anything has happened. The importance of like having this, if that is a possibility, like if you are coming right. from a place where that's possible. And like, so I'm a, I'm a, I have a one-year-old, I have a one-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. My wife and I are super fortunate. Our lives have been, you know, little, little to trauma-free. And, and having the opportunity to imbue her with the understanding of this hopefully before anything has an opportunity to happen to her that is that is traumatic so that she has that and and the understanding and the recollection that that was explained to her mm-hmm. verbally as a child that knows that now that is something that you talk about and it's, that you have you that conversation it. you yeah, normalize over it and, over and then and, over again. and then yeah. just the same way that trauma is creeping into generation after generation so can, so can the education on how to understand it and, and deal with it can go from generation to generation. Mm. Totally. And it just reminds me, we know that trauma changes the brain, but so does healing. Mm. And part of the healing is us as the adults. We're the, we're the grownups. We're the ones who are teaching the language. And I think that's, you know, at an early age, for example, when you lose your shit, because we do, it happens as adults, right? When our lid, when the the intelligent owl comes back, we're actually talking through and having conversations with our children, with our students about that too. Mm. Because often kids who've been through hard things struggle with recognizing their own internal body signals. They struggle with recognizing the emotions of others and their own emotions. So my top two strategies for that are name it to tame it and mm-hmm. I wonder statements. So name it to tame it is when you name an emotion out loud, even if because they're maybe not recognizing it. So if you're thinking about your little one and she's not recognizing it, but you're naming, oh, I see you're frustrated um, because you didn't get to sit where you wanted to sit. Or I wonder if. So even if it's not the truth. It actually sends soothing signals within their brain when we can name the emotion for them. So Mm. that's part of the healing. So it's not that we're talking directly to the child about their traumas. We're teaching them how to regulate in different ways. Mm. Usually as the adults, we're modeling that behavior over and over. And so for kids who haven't been through trauma, we might need to do this a couple of times. Mm -hmm. For kids who've been through trauma, it's thousands of experiences Mm. over over and over again but it has to happen in the context of a safe and caring relationship i I, I, i'm um i i feel like i feel like the the statement self-regulation is something that i've heard quite a bit over the last couple of years and um i also i i mean i don't know maybe i'm wrong but but i i feel like it would be safe to assume that there's probably a number of people out there that although have also heard the statement self-regulation don't really understand what the fuck that really means. And so, so maybe instead, and and for, so I guess like to dive into this, just, I would love to hear your thoughts on 
what is self-regulation? And maybe for, for the parents or the adults out there listening, um, uh, you could give us examples of like, how, how are adults encouraged to self-regulate? Whether that be an adult who is struggling with complex, complex PTSD, or that's a, a, you know, an adult who just happened to like get into a spat with their partner about finances or something. Totally. Yeah. So I'm going to quote for self-regulation or regulation. One of my favorite people, Dr. Jody Carrington, and I know you know her as well. You've had her on a few times. She's amazing. But regulation is staying in the window of tolerance versus not losing your friggin' mind when things get tough. I feel like Jody probably would have used a different word than friggin', but yes. Yes, I always say that. (laughs) Oh, I know. Oh, I know she did. (laughs) We love you, Jody. (laughs) And our kids don't, they're not born with knowing how to regulate. They learn that. So it's so interesting because I've written children's books and I say there's a self-regulation series, but the reality of it is it's actually co-regulation. When somebody's nervous system soothes the nervous system of another. And so our children need to get that over and over and over and over again. Their brains aren't fully developed until around the age of 25 anyway. So we're doing that again and again. And the more people that can do that around them, the better, right? Because our hope is when they become adults, they're able to self-regulate on their own, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, the game changer for me was really recognizing that it's actually a child's job to lose their friggin' mind yeah. over and over and over again in the presence of a safe adult. Mm. Because again, we're bringing that eagle back over and over and over again. Mm. Mm-hmm. And eventually we're hoping that they can bring that eagle back too on their own. It's funny. Cause I've like, I've had these, I've had so many experiences over the last year of um, especially in this, in like the spring and summer, I, I ride, I cycle a lot and I do these rides at night where I'll come home at like 8 PM and be, um, and like really, really be exhausted, like seriously exhausted. Um, and not in like an, not in an energy way, not in like a, I don't want to do anything way in like a, my heart is racing, you know, I'm just like in full recovery mode body wise. And, um, and I'll come home and my wife will be like, oh, God, like Zaya's not uh, asleep yet. She's, she's, she's having trouble tonight and she's crying and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll go in and, and try to help get her to calm down. And I've had this thought so many times when that's happened to go, how is she going to calm down when I take, pick her up and hold her and she can feel my heart pounding because my body's trying to just, it's trying to relax because I've just put it through a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, this, this, there's no way, there's no way that I am going to be the tool that's going to get this job done because my body, when I hold her is not sending her the signal that it's cool to relax. I'm sending her, I'm sending her the, I feel like I'm sending her the signal. That's like, keep, keep it going. (laughs) Like, let's keep this, (laughs) let's keep this party going. Yeah. And I've, and I, I've always wondered about, about that. Like, I know that exercise stress is not the same as like, as, you know, trauma stress, but I've always felt like I'm just not, 
I'm not giving her what she needs in those moments, even though, you know, I want to be that, I want to be that support for her. Tiller's just looking for you to validate the feeling that he just wants Kyla to do it instead. (laughs) He's just like, and I've been telling Kyla that I can't do it. I just need to relax. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, and you asked a couple of minutes ago about what do we do in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So even Mm -hmm. in that moment, you would, before you go in, I mean, the first step is recognizing that within your body, you're aware of that. You could take 10 very deep breaths to slow down your heart rate because breathing is just one of those very, very powerful tools to help regulate our nervous system. And then Mm -hmm. when you go in, you could even do the deep breathing with her on your chest, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, You're doing I, really good. I think about I think about how you know I, I I can I can recall going to school with um with kids that just seemed like they were just always on the edge and and you know they just they had a lot of problems and like as a kid you just have you have no idea what they're going through or where they're where they're coming from. Um, not that I necessarily was conscious of that as a kid, but, um, but when you are working with kids who have been through a lot and that they are that type of kid that they are, you know, they're the, they're the, they're the desk flippers and, and the FUers, like you, like you said before, um, in order to communicate to them, what, what kind of, what, what is, what needs to be done so that the communication gets, gets actually is heard, like what you're communicating can actually be, understood like is there like does mindfulness play play a role breathing like certain techniques like that in terms of getting that being able to understand what you're trying to communicate in the first place yes i think mindfulness breathing great being grateful all of those strategies are great the thing is that we need to remember as the adults when the eagle is gone and the wolf is growling and barking there no logical conversations can be had. So for example, if in the moment that, you know, the student is F you, I hate you, and all of the things, I can't say, go use your breathing. That'll escalate the situation even more, right? Mm -hmm. So in those moments, you know, there's I always think about there's prevention strategies and intervention strategies. What do we do for prevention? Well, we teach them about their brain. We teach them about emotions and regulation and how to work through the stress cycle. We might use books and different kinds of language for that. But then there's intervention. So when they're, I, I call it the stress staircase. So the higher we're up the stress staircase, the less access we have to our logical brain the quicker we are to fight, flight, freeze, and the longer lasting the reaction. So when in that kind of flood zone, we're not having those conversations. We are being as non-reactive as possible. We are not threatening consequences. We are not threatening punishment. We might be doing our own breathing. We might be talking through our own emotions on the side. Um Often giving space can be helpful. We want to be aware of our body language. We don't want to stand above. We might want to be shoulder to shoulder or eye to eye. Mm. Um, and so, and also I always come back to food and water. I think about how, you know, a wolf cannot be growling and barking while eating or drinking. Mm. Right. Nice. So yeah. if I'm offering food or water to a student 
and they're going for it, that means the intelligent eagle is somewhere in sight and hopefully will land soon, right? So that helps to regulate as well. So it's just remembering we cannot be having these hard conversations when over the stress staircase, but the biggest piece to helping children heal is what comes next, countering the shame response. Often these kids have a deep-seated feeling, I'm bad, there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with me, especially after these big reactions. And so when appropriate, it might be an hour later, it might be a day or two later that we can come back to the conversation and we restitute and repair. How do we create the conditions for the student to return back strengthened? We Mm -hmm. want, and then we do that not just once, not twice, not five times, like over and over and over again. Uh, I'm curious, Angela, you mentioned like when you talk about um, getting like further up the stress staircase and how those um, experiences can be longer and, and, and even like the recovery time afterwards can be longer. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder, um, what the difference is between, you know, uh, uh, working with a seven or eight year old who has gone through, you know, complex experiences of, of trauma versus like a 14 year old who may not have had you know, that earlier support and intervention in their life, like how, how much difference, how much, how different is it between those like different ages and the extent at which trauma goes undealt uh, or undealt with for? Yeah. And so part of my work right now, I work with um, kids in care. So through the BC ministry, and I do have cases of children who are five, six, seven, and then some um, teenagers, mostly boys who are you know, 14, 15, often living in staffed homes. And so if, you know, early intervention is ideal, let's put it that way. Early Mm -hmm. intervention is ideal. We hope for that. Um, But sometimes that doesn't happen, as we know. And I think the key to remembering, you know, as we become teenagers, there are different concerns, more probably riskier behaviors coming up, more vulnerability around um, so many different things. Um, But I always think it's never too late Mm -hmm. to support these kids, to help them heal and grow. And so again, the key to supporting these kids is not looking at their chronological age. So a 14-year-old boy, for example, I'm looking at where they are developmentally. So they might be showing up like a four or five-year-old in the areas of emotional regulation or their stress response. And so going back developmentally and helping them grow from there is key. And then having that wraparound team of supports that understand that we're not looking at the behavior, we're looking at where are they developmentally. Mm -hmm. And so... Can I share a tree metaphor with you? It's one of my Mm -hmm. favorites. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want you to imagine that the child or youth is the image of this tree. So whatever kind of tree you can imagine. And so the idea is that the leaves and the fruit and the branches on the outside of the tree represent the behaviors, what we see from the child or youth. So the the statements or, or the desk flip or the middle finger, all those things, right? Or the crying or the withdrawal. That's the outside of the tree. Um, And what do we do when a tree isn't thriving? We might add supports from the ground up. We might prune and cut back. 
And so that might help in the short term, but really we're looking for long-term success always, right? And so in order to get long-term success, we need to go back to the unseen roots. We need to um, add nutrients to the soil, right? Mm -hmm. And so for students, instead of focusing on the outside, that's the behaviors, we're going to their roots. These are the three things, my like the three kind of bookends that we talk about, attachment and relationship. We need to support them with that. Um, reducing stress. So usually start with the external stressors. And I have an acronym that I can share with you for that. And then building identity. Who am I? Where do I fit in this world? Where do I belong? Am I worthy? Because it comes back to that feeling of I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so if we can focus on the roots, we see the leaves grow and thrive, right? But if we only focus on the behavior, which often we're trained to do that as educators, consequences, punishment doesn't work long term. Might work term if the stick is long enough, but we don't want that. Something that I find um, really striking about this is is that um, it feels like this healing, you know, in a way isn't really possible unless there's another person there to support the person through it. And it it sounds like, I, I feel like I'm realizing how important it is to have people around you who are also, you know, emotionally regulated or working on their own emotional you know, regulation or emotional intelligence to support someone um, who's going through uh, traumatic ex- uh, challenges and, and recovery like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I I wonder, you know, oftentimes the people who, you know, face the the hardest challenges are people who don't have communities or support or other people around them. And so I wonder how how can you know, if you observe somebody who's who's struggling in a situation like that, like how can you help to help them find a community of people around them who can provide them that help when you know you're not you're not the only person there? Yeah, you are so right, Brian. I think like we cannot do any of this alone. I'm just thinking personally. I'm going through something really big right now in my life, which would be a whole other podcast, by the way. Mm. And without my supports. Um, I just don't even know where I'd be right now. And so I think about our children and youth who aren't actually the kids who need support and love the most are often the hardest to give it to because they're the hardest to connect to. These kids are often pushing you away because I'm going to push you away before you push me away because that's my history. That's what I know. And so again, as the adults, I keep coming back to this. We need to be aware of that when they're pushing me away and they're saying, fuck you. I can't take it personal. And that's a, a, a big mistake that we might make as adults is we take these behaviors personally. It's not about us, never was about us. And so how do we continue to keep showing up and helping to build that community? Mm. And it takes time. It, and even, you know, for these kids, they have a hard time building community with friendships because they're having a hard time accessing that logical brain. They're living in survival brain. So hard time connecting with peers as well, right? So how do we do that slowly and carefully with these students? Well, we, uh, of course, every child is different, um, but we create the conditions for that Mm. to happen, right? Mm. 
Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I, I mean, like t- to your your point there, Brian, um, like I'm hearing all this and I'm thinking and, and I keep just thinking about my my nephews, um, Hudson and Austin, and they're, you know, they're uh, they're like four and six and I'm watching them grow up and 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 thankfully they're growing up in a, in a really like wonderful, supportive, loving family. Like my sister is fucking amazing. You know, she's Mm -hmm. such an incredible mom. Um, But I also recognize that like, you know, my sister or her husband, they, they aren't, they aren't constantly going to therapy. Um, They have their own shit that they've had to deal with throughout their life. And, and so it makes me think about all the other people that have children in their life that I don't know. And like, I can't help but think like, we're all so fucked up, you know, like yeah. there, there's, there's such a small fraction of us adults out there who, who isn't fucked up from our own past traumas. And I know that this isn't your wheelhouse because you're, you know, your focus is on youth and on children. But for somebody listening to this, say my sister's tuning into this and she's hearing everything you're saying and she's going, oh my God, like I, I, I want to be able to provide this kind of resource to my child. Yeah. But I think I I think in order for me to do this, I need resources for myself as an adult to like really get a, a grasp and a handle on mm-hmm. the way that I relate to my emotions. So do you have examples of I mean, I know you mentioned Jody earlier, who's a, a phenomenal resource for that sort of thing. But like, who are the other people out there or or perhaps books out there that you as a psychologist, you know, recommend for adults to dive into this kind of subject matter to really like broaden their vocabulary when it comes to their own mental well-being and their own self-regulation. Yeah, I, one of my favorite books and the most practical book I've read is Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Have you heard of that one? I've heard the name of the authors. Yeah, so they're they were on a podcast, I think, with Brene Brown. That's where I first heard of them. But they talk about the difference between stress and stressors mm. and how the most efficient ways to complete the stress cycle is what they call it. And they have seven very practical ways to work through the stress cycle. And so um I think that's my top resource around that. If you want to dig deep into trauma which is different um my favorite books are um the body keeps score Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then there's the one it's i don't have it on my mind right now but oh the boy who was raised as a dog bruce perry Mm -hmm. um but i think personally if we're working through our own 
you know, journey on regulating our nervous system over and over and over again, the book Burnout, I think would be my go-to resource around that. And I, I love how they talk about practical strategies. I actually took that book and kind of shifted the strategies for children too. And in one of my children's books that I've written, Um, but part of that, the number one strategy to curb burnout and to be well is physical activity, moving our body every Mm -hmm. single day. Mm -hmm. And it can look very different for all of us, depending on our own passions. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And another big one too, is um, emotional regulation And so they talk really about how emotions are like tunnels. And if you go all the way through them, you will get to the end. And it's really tricky when we get stuck in the tunnel. Yeah. We don't process our emotions. So my favorite way to say it, especially for children and youth and adults really like it, is this quote, emotions. And I don't know who said it, but emotions are like farts. Have you heard this? No, no. no. I love a good fart. Are you ready? Yeah. I know know this one actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emotions are like parts. It hurts when you hold them in. Some (laughs) clear room. Some are silent. Some feel really good while others feel really icky. But what's most important is that they come out in an appropriate and safe place. And it's natural. (laughs) Oh, God damn, that is good. That is wonderful. That is, <laughs> I do love that. that is wonderful. Like I, I, I think about, <laughs> I think about all this stuff, and like to that, to what you, to to the, what you said there, Jer, before about like, you know, how do we, how do we even begin to think about this when like the seemingly like the best, the you know like the 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 places where it seems like this is ripe to just start right now is Ooh. even can even be challenging. And like, I think about it in terms, and this is, I, I, I say this in terms of like a more broad scope of how we have started to like talk a lot more about like mental health stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, in, in kind of like a similar manner with how, you know, like the gay rights movement or civil rights wasn't like, wasn't like, Hey, we need to do this. And then it was like, all right, let's do it. And we're done. It's like, it's decades, it's ongoing, it's generational, it's iterative. It's like, it's, it starts with what we've got now. We can like, we can, we have to kind of like work with what we've got now to change the things that can be changed small as the, as they may be now so that that change can be like a little bit bigger the next time. And then a little bit bigger the next time. And then over you know, whatever, probably a, a, probably a, t- probably a length of time that's longer than we're gone, that, that we're going to live yeah. will be when, will be when we see something that is truly, uh, like inspiring and, and, <clears throat> and, and kind of jaw dropping in mm. terms of like where we've come. Speaking of resources and, uh, you've, you've kind of, you've brushed up against it a couple of times, but um, I'd love for you to to kind of give us a bit of insight into uh, the Wonder Pup books. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm obsessed with my dogs and I my passion is prevention and intervention work. So um, it was when I was in my first year of teaching that I was teaching what we called the I message. So helping students stand up for themselves in a kind and caring way. So in three ways, you say the other person's name, you say what you don't like, and you say stop. And I remember thinking back then, that was like 13, 14 years ago. And I was thinking, I can't find a book to go with this strategy. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool someday to write a book. And then fast forward to about four years ago, 
Um, I published my first book with my dogs as the main characters. So the first one I can show you, it's called Speak Up Wonder Pup. <laughs> and it teaches uh -huh. the iMessage. <laughs> and the idea is that Zane is the younger brother and Draper is his older brother in the book. And it's direct teaching. Um, and he teaches him all the strategies. So basically, there's speak up and then there's breathe up wonder pup. So different ways to breathe, like different animals. So if we're mm -hmm. coming back and helping kids understand their own internal body signals and slow down the nervous system a bit, listen up. I won't go through what they're all about. Um, talk yourself up is one of my favorites. Mm. It's shifting mm -hmm. our um, red thoughts to green thoughts. So it's like that negativity bias around, you know, even us as adults, I find we often get stuck on the one bad thing. Mm -hmm. We have all this good. So helping children shift from shift their lens even. Mm -hmm. And then um, practice changing that negative thought to a positive thought. And it's always in the book, there's always a teaching page and direct learning. Mm -hmm. And then step up wonder pup has to do with our upstairs brain, downstairs brain, but I call it the wonder pup staircase. So the higher we're up the staircase, the more access we have to our logical brain. Mm. And I'm going to, I want to buy all these books. <laughs> well, lucky, lucky for you, Brian, they are all currently available on amazon.ca or amazon.com. And you, know you can I mean? even bundle them together. And I have a child, so you can just give them to give him. Them to me. I'm not, I'm not going to give them because this is my thought. Like I'll, I'll gift a set to Zay too, if you want, but uh, you should be teaching these things anyway. But, uh, but the thing that I think is interesting about kids books is that, you know, like we, as adults, we can go to, Disney or Pixar movies and watch them in theaters and, and enjoy it because, you know, there's beautiful artwork and there's a beautiful message. But, um, as you get older, um, adults don't read children's books because they're not for adults. They're for kids. But like, actually, I think that if we speak for yourself, dude, I read a lot of, of kids. Books. But you do that because you have a kid and like, I, Hey man, like, I've I got, I literally know. have a library of just Captain Underpants sitting in my house right See, now this is the thing i think we should normalize reading kids books because <laughs> yeah. like when i look at those and i think of the messages in those books who better to understand them than than adults Ooh. you know like yeah. it, like Ooh. obviously they're written for kids but they're equally as important messages for adults especially those adults who didn't have Ooh. people you know um be an example of that in their lives when they were younger. And yeah, I just think it's uh, I don't know. I like, yeah. I'm going to order these books and read them because I think there's a lot to take away from well, them. A lot of the problems, uh, a lot of the problems that are that a lot of the things that uh, themes that children's books are tackling are just, are, are a lot of stuff that a lot of people never, never, never got. Exactly. Never, yeah. never, and never exactly went, never back worked. to my point of like, yeah. Where do we start? You know, where where do we start when we didn't have that start from 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 our youth? But, but I'm curious. I, I wanted to ask um, Angela. Like we've been talking a lot about you know these different levels of like trauma. Is it complex trauma? Is it a is it like a, a quote simple traumatic event um, or one traumatic event? And and I I'm wondering because like there's obviously so as somebody who who goes to therapy and when I think of like my trauma from my past that I talk about in therapy, I'd say like the most traumatic event that um, I've dealt with that affected my childhood was my parents' divorce. But, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, um, 
like Taylor, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I've had, you know, a lot of experiences with trauma in my life, but I find, um, therapy to be incredibly, uh, beneficial and not just to like go back and, and, you know, sort of try to understand the, the traumatic experiences in my life, but also just on like a, you know, just on like a base level of like emotional regulation and, and being able to like manage my emotions, um, in particular in, you know, situations where I become dysregulated, whether it's, you know, getting in an argument with my partner or upset in traffic or whatever it is. Um, I feel like I have a place to talk about those feelings and explore them with somebody who, you know, is an unbiased third party perspective that is willing to go to those places with me where I don't feel judged. And I feel like I can, you know, say the things I think and, and really like just, you know, have a place to get them out. And so I wonder like for, for kids who aren't, you know, kids who have experienced trauma, but probably in a lot of ways, kids who can benefit from, like Taylor said before, you know, learning these things before they face some sort of traumatic event. Like, I guess, how are, how are these things helpful or important for those people as well? And I almost think of like, like people who are adults who haven't necessarily, you know, dealt with a traumatic event. Like, how are, how are these things important to learn for those people? Mm -hmm. Well, if we are regulated, we're able to be more present in our lives with others too, right? And I think, and I, I get, I see a therapist as well to offload a lot of the trauma from my work, but also my past traumas. And I think that's so great um, that to be able to have the space to do that. Unfortunately, not everybody has the resources to do that either. So how do we mm -hmm. ensure that... Um, as adults and children are getting this. So even if we have not been through trauma, and I think about, again, I made reference to this huge shift happening in my life right now, and coming back to the day-to-day -day stuff that we do to take care of our mental health and our physical health goes a long way. So mm. um, coming back, for me, I think about sleep, I think about eating and I think about love. So connection to self, to others, to nature, and then move. Those are my top four. That's where I would start. And that's literally every day I wake up, I'm like, sleep, eat, love, mm. move. And I, um, coming back to my Wonder Pup books, that's actually the next book in the series where the older brother forgot to take care of himself. And the younger brother, Zane, notices all these signs of burnout in kid-friendly way, of course. He's not eating. He's not um, playing his favorite games. He doesn't want to connect with others, all the things. And so they're coming back to the basics. And I think about, we talk about self-care all the time, but we need to come back to the basics. How is my sleep? How am I eating? Am I making sure that I'm connecting with others? Mm. Am I moving my body? I mean, it's uh, like all those things are like just the... It, it, when you say it, I'm like, yeah, of course. And, and those four things are like the primal human needs to, to, yes. to, to live, you know, you remove society, remove, you remove technology, remove all those things, bring us back to, you know, um, like when we're climbing out of trees and, and starting to walk around and, 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 you know, I mean, you, you see it in chimps, you see it in, in, 
you know, just watching Chimp Empire, this is incredible documentary on Netflix. And it's like, that's, that's all their life is, is just food, movement, connection, and eat. And, uh, and what was the other one you said? Move. Move, connection. Oh, sleep, sleep, sleep right. Yeah. Sleep. <laughs> I didn't get enough last night, uh, <laughs> but like, those are like the, like they're the basic primal things that we just need to be, to function. You know, you strip one of those things away completely and we are, we are a complete fucking mess. Totally. And so it's like to hear that, this, that thing, you know, someone might hear it and think, oh, well, of course it is. But really, if you take a second and just kind of look back over the last, I don't know, week and a half of your life. How many days of that period of time were you lacking in one of those things? And I guarantee you, if you are living just a normal life, like all of us are trying to get by day to day in the climate that we live in today, you're probably lacking in at least one of those things. That's why you need a whoop strap. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. just <laughs> Yeah. I know some <laughs> people that have alarms on their phones that just remind them to stop and to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Self, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I, first of all, Angela, I just want to say that, um, although we just met you and we've only been speaking for, you know, just under an hour. We love um, you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I, I, any child who has the, who has the pleasure of having you be a part of their education and their life is so, so lucky. Um, you, you're, you're speaking to three grown ass, silly men. And I feel like I'm being, I feel like I'm in the space of like, um, you know, like some of the teachers that I grew up with that I, every once in a while, just catch myself thinking of that. I haven't seen, I haven't seen them in whatever, 20 years. Um, you, you really are. You're a lovely educator and, and you have a great way of like, of, of communicating in, in a way that is like, that feels caring and feels supportive. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you do, because it's clear that you are very good at what you do. Um, and I want to just tell folks that, um, if you heard anything in this conversation that resonated with you, well, that it is literally just the fucking tip of the iceberg uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to your website, which is full of really valuable uh, and important resources. Um, AngelaMurphyAuthor.ca. Um, go there, check it out. If you have a kid, most certainly go there. Um, you've you've done a, a just a, a phenomenal job with with what it is you've you've put yourself out here into the world to do. And uh, we are just eternally grateful that you've taken time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. And to be honest with you, I, you know, we, we've had a number of people that on this show who have returned again and again. And I hope, I really do hope that we can get you back on the show at some oh, point in the future to just unpack some more of that, that, that obvious wealth of knowledge that exists up in your, um, in your uh, wise eagle of a brain. Anytime. intelligent eagle <laughs> maybe when i'm in halifax next because i come every summer hell yeah I'd be in person that'd be amazing that would be that'd very be awesome. fun yeah. i love that um give yourself i mean I, I know i just said it but please how can people stay up to date with the work that you do if they're interested in the books or or anything else that is angela murphy how can they find you 
Yeah, so they can go to my website, which you just said is angelamurphyauthor.ca, and then they can follow me. I'm mostly active on my Instagram, so it's Angela Marie, which is my middle name, M-A-R-I-E, School Psych. Um, and so that's where I post kind of the day-to-day in my stories, but then also resources for children and adults. Um, so you can definitely go there. And if you're interested in more learning, even professional development, I do have online courses like trauma-focused schools. Um, so, and a new one is coming out called Calm Classroom. So just stay, stay tuned for that one. I'm really excited. Well, thank you again. This has been uh, truly like a real pleasure. It's been really great speaking with you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I'm just so thankful that you invited me into your space. Really appreciate it. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.